You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beltway Beef. This is Ashley, and today I'm joined by Don Schiefelbein, and Don is the president of NCBA. Don, welcome to the podcast. Hey, glad to be back, Ashley. Well, Don, we're glad to have you back. You just spent the last week or so over in the UK, so welcome back to U.S. soil. Yes, I'm still trying to figure out when I'm supposed to sleep and when I'm supposed to work, Ashley. Well, I'm sure that'll take a little while, but we're glad to have you on the podcast today to talk about your trip to the UK and um, to talk about the reason that you went over there. And, And we all know that access to foreign markets is really, really important so that we can export more high quality U.S. beef. And so in the midst of a potential trade deal between the United States and uh, the United Kingdom, NCBA is on the front lines of those conversations, making sure that high quality beef is noted in any of those conversations. Um, So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you guys did over there and, and why it was so important? Well, Ashley, I wish we had the opportunity to have brought on all of our beef producers with us, and they could have seen what I saw firsthand, and that is watching uh, Kent and Ethan do what they do so well. They visited with all of these important delegations. They talked about the merits of our beef production system. And what's probably more important than anything, Ashley, is we dispelled a lot of myths that they have with regard to animal production and U.S. production and how we do things over here. So as you know, and you said it so very well, you know, trade values in beef cattle are worth a lot of money. And I think this first quarter, we actually topped over $500 of value just for our extra export trade, which is huge. And, you know, we have kind of a strategy and that NCBA supports it greatly. When you have the greatest tasting, safest, most wholesome product in the world, you let consumers have choices and you try to open up markets and you let people decide why they should be buying this great U.S. beef. So that was the goal, just opening up that door, letting them see for themselves how great this product is and making sure we have free and fair trade. So as you opened up that door, you talked a lot about how a lot of this trip was just doing education and just having the conversation about how we raise beef over here in the U.S. Because it seems like there are a lot of misconceptions out there and those misconceptions actually become barriers as trade talks start. So can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. And, you know, it all starts with relationships. And that's what uh, Kent and Ethan do so well. You know, it's it's enjoyable to watch as they're talking to these high level officials and they're calling them. They're calling Ethan and Kent by their first names because that relationship has begun. And that's when trust starts to take place. And trust is how you break these myths. Right. So that's where we were at. And some of these myths are things that basically you would not believe, but they're characteristic of what U.S. beef production a lot has to do with what they see believe it or not, in movies, you know, so they have this this movie thought that everybody in the U.S. is from a huge, huge Yellowstone-like ranch, if you will, where they have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cattle, and they're all kind of managed in what they called corporate feeding or uh, factory farming and all those kind of buzz red letter words, if you will. And that's how they're characterizing our production. And as Ethan would bring it up, or Kent would bring it up in almost every conversation, 
you would just see their jaws drop when they pointed out that our production system really is a group of family farmers with an average uh, cow size of 40 head. It was just mind-boggling to watch them react to that incredible number. Yeah, you know, and, and I think it's really important to have, you know, producers over there sharing that story because, you know, I think... Ethan and Kent can do so much from sitting in their offices and calling these people, but, you know, sending them over and sending a producer over to actually have those face-to-face conversations, I think is pretty invaluable. Well, that's where, like I said, it's relationships. That's where it all starts. And once you get to know people well and you see them firsthand, all of a sudden you can take it a lot deeper. And like I said, the key is to break these myths. And that's where relationships really go a long way. We also talked about other myths. And as you know, there is this big discussion among them on, uh, you know, grass fed versus corn fed. Right. And what they really believed is uh, and it was actually remarkable that. They believe that animals are born in these huge, huge operations. And at day number two or three, they are placed into a feedlot to be stuffed with corn for the rest of their lives. And that's why they're called corn fed beef. Uh, the, the example we discussed is we had, you know, we got to see some front views and we got to actually go into restaurants and go into coolers. And what was amazing is we went into a cooler and they were showing us the grass fed UK beef compared to the American, you know, corn fed beef. And what was stunning is they both had crystal white fat. And as you know, grass fed beef typically has yellow fat, right? So we inquired and we said, what is the difference? Why are, why are we seeing white fat on all this uh, grass fed beef? And they said, well, the definition that we go by is through the lifetime of the animal, they are predominantly fed most of their life grass. He said, but of course, the last six months of their life, we feed them grain. And then, then all of a sudden our eyes just got huge, right? And we said, well, that's no different than what we do in America. In fact, we only do it for five months typically, but nearly identical. So, I mean, that was a myth that uh, they were just startled to understand that their system of feeding and our system of feeding were nearly identical. Yeah, as you were telling that story, I was like, hmm, that production method sounds uh, pretty familiar. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important that you guys were there to just have those conversations because you never know how far a misunderstanding can go. And, and NCBA being on the front lines to clear up those misconceptions is really important. And I think some of the other misconceptions, you know, come in the areas of animal health and, and animal welfare. Did you guys dig into to those conversations? Oh, yeah. And it came up in every time, you know, they have a program would be similar to our BQA called a red tractor. And when you look at them and you start comparing them, what becomes amazing is they're nearly identical. So their system of kind of trying to manage and protect and handle animals nearly mirrors ours entirely. And they were absolutely shocked that this system that we call BQA or beef quality assurance has 85 percent uptake in the United States. They thought it was just, you know, maybe one or two percent would be in that BQA or managed that way. And so they were absolutely, again, shocked that, boy, we have way more similarities than we thought. And then the key is we're, we're developing relationships, not just on their side, but on our side. And that's that's the true value of uh, NCBA, right? We have all the friends and relationships in USDA as well. So basically, as soon as Kent and Ethan get back, they all of a sudden re- 
decide they're going to sit down with all the people on our side and say, just what, look what we heard. Look what's important. How do we jumpstart this thing? And they're trying to get this thing kicked off in full gear, relaying back to our people. And this is what was absolutely clear is that UK really, really, really wants a trade agreement with the United States. The one who is holding it back is the United States. And when you look at the, the delay in which we approach things, we don't even have an ag trade person right now to go over and head this thing up. So we're kind of in this loop of holding. In the meantime, thanks to NCBA, we're continuing those relationships, making sure that once the USDA and our side is ready, that we can just jump right in and start nailing out the details and get relations and trade agreements finalized. Well, great. Well, we appreciate you being on the podcast today to just Walk us through what you did on your trip and, and the importance of, you know, continued NCBA engagement and trade conversations. So thanks, Don, for being on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.